Hi, this is John Hemminghouse speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church near Milanville, Pennsylvania. Have you ever heard this verse before? Judge not that you be not judged. Jesus made this statement in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. What did our Lord mean? I hope you'll tune in to find out as our pastor discusses Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, as we are now about uh, two-thirds through the Sermon on the Mount. And let me just kind of briefly uh, bring you up to date as to where we've been. Uh, we've talked about the Beatitudes, um, the blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the merciful, etc., blessed are the poor in spirit, things that really don't seem to fit with the, the culture of the day, of Jesus' day or in our day. Um, this is not where most people are at. Jesus is saying you're blessed if, if uh, these things are in your life. We talked about that a few weeks back. Then the similitudes, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And so we are supposed to be lights in a dark world. We're supposed to uh, be salt, uh, preserved, uh, give, give uh, uh, a flavor to the, the world in which we live. <coughs> then Jesus interpreted several issues out of the Old Testament law. And in some ways he elevated that. other ways he, he corrected misunderstandings of it. And that section consumed the rest of chapter 5. Then when we got into chapter 6, we saw true religion versus false religion. True religion needs to have the right doctrine and the right heart that produces the right action. Okay, and Versus false religion, any of those things that break down, uh, you have falsehood. And then uh, Jesus talked about your choice, God or this world. Do you want to live for now, lay up treasures on earth, or do you want to lay up treasures in heaven? Do you want to? And so he talked about you can't uh, live for both. You are going to make a choice of living for God or for now, or for pleasure, for self, and for possessions. And now we come today to um, his challenge to love other people. And so um, that's where we're at. I'd like to start by reading the first 12 verses. If you were noticing on the original the title slide, I'd planned on doing verses 1 to 12. What happened is when I got into this, um, I can only get through verse 5. We just, it was gonna, um, we've got so much to talk about in the first five verses. And Lord willing, next week we will... We'll do the other uh, verses. But let's notice, if you would, starting with verse 1, and we'll read down to verse 12, so you kind of get the section, what Jesus is talking about. starts out, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why do you hold us out the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite. First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, if, if whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Give us understanding, we pray. Help me to be clear and understandable so that all of us could take the truth of your word and apply it 
And so we ask for your help in doing this, Lord. And you get the glory, for you deserve all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, my uh, first thing I wanted to accomplish here is to figure out, because I believe chapter 7, verses 1 to 12 are basically a section. Okay? He's going to get into something a little bit different when you get to verse 13. So my question is, what is the main point that Jesus is driving at here? And the first clue I can show you is at the end, look at verse 12, and you'll notice the word therefore. Okay, now what does therefore indicate? It's conclusion. It's, you're saying something based upon what you just said. You with me? So we're looking at Jesus then drawing conclusions from what he just told us. Now, what then is he talking about in verse 12, verse 12. If we can get that, then we can kind of put it in context with what's come in front of that. Okay, what do you call verse 12? It's kind of a, it's actually a pretty famous verse. It is called the golden rule. Okay, all things, therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, do any of you have a cross-reference Bible where you might have uh, some references um, that you find this kind of same concept elsewhere? Luke 6.31, I think that's basically saying the same thing. And if you have an Old Testament reference, that's it, Leviticus 19.18. Okay, if you want to flip back there, you can. It's, um, it's, it's third book of the Bible, so it's really way toward the front. If you're, if you're not fast, and you can just wait, and I'll be back. I'll, I'll just read it to you. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18 says this. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. That's where that concept of loving your neighbor as yourself, so when Jesus puts it in verse 12, he says, as you would that men would do to you, do to them. Now, another spot, you probably don't have this one, and, and, and I don't know really why, it should, to me, it should be there is chapter 22 of Matthew. You're in Matthew 7, right? So you don't have to go far. Just go to chapter 22 of the Gospel of Matthew. You're already in that book. And look with me at verse 35 down to verse 40. Because this is another statement very similar, okay, to what we just read, as you would that others do to you, do, do to them. Okay, Matthew 22, I'm at verse 35. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, or testing him. Okay, these, And these guys are not necessarily a friendly audience. Many of these people are actually critics of the Lord. They don't, they're trying to find fault with him. Verse 36. Here's the question. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? What's the most important commandment? Jesus said to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Love God with everything you have. But he gives him a little more. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That is doing unto others as you would have others do to you. Now notice what he says next. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So what we see from that passage is that, <coughs> excuse me, is that living and, and doing for others what others would do to me what I would want others to do for me, excuse me, what I would want others to do for me, that 
is what it means to love my neighbor as myself. And that is, as Jesus said, the second greatest commandment. He went on and said something else. Everything hangs on these two commandments. If you will love God with all your heart and you'll love your neighbor as yourself, that, that basically is the summation of the commandments of the Old Testament. Let me show you why I say that. In the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments are all dealing with your relationship with God. No other gods before me, no graven image, don't take the Lord's name in vain, remember the Sabbath day. That's all your relationship with God. The rest of the six, the six left are all dealing with your relationship with your fellow man. Things like don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't covet your neighbor's things. Why? Because if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're happy that he's got it. See? Don't take your neighbor's wife, don't lie. Those are all connected then with loving your neighbor as yourself. And so this is a huge commandment. Now, if we, if, we, if we have that in mind, then what we can understand is what Jesus is driving at is he's commanding you and I to love our neighbors as ourselves. And the very first, and, and, and there's some very practical ways that he's dealing with that, that we can do this. Now, this is the one we're going to deal with today. And that is your attitude toward your neighbor's faults and or sins. How do you respond to your neighbor? And I, now, don't just think now. Don't just think physical neighbor. Think your fellow human beings. That's what he's meaning, okay? It would include your family, includes your coworkers, includes if you go to school, those around you, your fellow human beings, how do you respond to their faults and sins? That's what we're going to focus in on this morning. Now, the second thing we won't get to today is, is your decisions as to when to speak and when to keep silence. Now, that's verse 6. Lord willing, we'll get to that next week, as well as this one. Your imitation of God's example in dealing with people. We'll hit on that some, but we'll get that in more detail again, Lord willing, next week. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I have a common problem. And I think this is a problem that you face as well. And that is, it's easy to imagine that you love others and as you ought, and yet leave a major sin in your life. And that is, I don't love others as, as, as I ought. And this is a huge commandment. This is big. It is why there are so many problems in society. Okay? Now, it's not that everybody knows the Lord and, and has accepted Christ, but you know, you know, there'd be a huge improvement in society if Christian people lived that. Those of us who know the Lord. This is the main thought I'd like to get across to you this morning. You'll either love others to God's standard or you'll leave a major sin in your life. And that's what he's going to be dealing with. This is the second greatest commandment. After loving God with all your heart, this is the second most important thing that we have that God has given us to do. And so, we'll start with verse 1, a very famous verse. Matter of fact, many of you have heard this, maybe you didn't know where it was found in the Bible, judge not that ye be not judged. So commandment um, is that if you have a critical spirit towards your neighbor, you do not love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that true? Those of you that are familiar with the star system, you know, five stars is really good. If you're putting a one star up on people, um, you know what I'm saying? You don't love your neighbor as you know. So the commandment is judge not. Okay, now, what does that mean? And how do you live it? Because a lot of people, let me tell you first of all what it does not mean. It does not mean that Christians are powerless to say that anything is wrong. That is often how it's used with Christians. You know, someone is, is, you know, stole their neighbor's wife and 
Christian person says that you shouldn't do that, and, 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 and they come back, judge not, judge not. Wouldn't you be glad if, if you, you know, encountered a thief breaking into your home, and he's running out the door, and you're saying, hey, this is wrong, judge not, judge not. Uh, is it that we are powerless to say things are wrong? Well, let's, let's look at the same sermon, okay? Jesus is not saying that. And the reason why, we know because in the very same sermon, skip down to verse 15, okay? Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. So guess what you're doing with the false prophet? You're judging them. You're looking at his life, and you're making a determination as to whether or not you're going to trust him. Now, what is a false prophet, by the way? Help me out. What's a false prophet? Yes, they, they, they may have, they, many times they're, they're, they're pastors or priests or whatever. They're, they're standing in pulpits. They're telling people this is what God's Word is saying, and it's not saying that. So they're leading people down a, a false path. He says they're like wolves in sheep's clothing. You've heard that term probably. They look like they're believers and they're not. Remember a number of years ago, it was, I was just really um, aghast with watching on what was supposed to be a Christian television network. They were trying to raise money for their programming. And someone got this revelation from God that if you sent their network, at this particular time, $2,000, all your bills would be paid. Now you think about that. And who is the person that's most likely to do that? People that are really hurting financially. I mean, I can't imagine lying to people like that in God's name. That's a wolf in sheep's clothing. A person that says you can get to heaven by being good, when the scriptures clearly teach otherwise. It's not by works of righteousness as we have done. It's according to his mercy that he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. By grace you are saved through faith that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. When someone says you can earn your way into heaven by joining our church or by going through this ceremony, that is not what the scripture says. That's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Now clearly we are told to judge that. Look down at verse 20. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. All right, so we know that it, what Jesus is not saying is that you have no power, no ability to say that sin is sin. We'll give you some examples. The word fruit, you know, Jesus said in verse 20, the fruits ye shall know them. Fruit is connected with your words. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 12. He says, I think it's around verse 36, 37. He says, by your words you'll be justified. By your words you'll be condemned. Okay, so our words are part of the fruit of our lives. How about our works? John the Baptist was approached. He said, bring forth works that are fruits. He used the word fruits there. Meat or fitting for repentance. People came up to him and said, okay, what do we do? And he gave them specific ways they could change. So, well, he's not saying that you can't say that sin is sin. That's not what the judge not means. It doesn't mean that. What does it mean then? Well, it means that we ought to be slow to judge someone's actions as sinful. We ought not to jump quickly to conclusions, especially when we're concluding what they were thinking. That should be a red flag. 
Oh, I know why you said what you said. Oh, I know why you did what you did. Quite honestly, you probably don't. And when we start jumping to conclusions, we can have problems in this area. And this is where God says, don't do it. That's what he means by judge not. Um, now, how do we violate this? First of all, is by hastily concluding someone committed a clear sin. And let me give an example of this. Have you ever been accused of lying? And honestly, in, I'm not that, by the way, I think all of us can struggle with lying, really, in a whole host of ways. But can I say that there are some times when you may be accused of lying and you really, you really weren't. Maybe you said something that was in error, but it was not a lie. Let me explain why. First of all, um, sometimes you're speaking without knowing all the facts. If I say, well, my child was not involved in this crime, I know he wasn't involved. But I thought he was at the neighbor's house. I didn't have all the facts. I found out a day later that he wasn't at the neighbor's house. In fact, he was with this gang that was involved. You see what I'm saying? I made a statement, but it wasn't that I was trying to lie. I, was, I, I didn't know all the facts. Many times that can be the case. A second way we can, we can say something that's not true and we weren't really lying is we can just misspeak. Have you ever said the wrong thing? Ever got on YouTube and watched whoever, whatever president it was? You can find them on just about every president, all the dumb things that they said. Well, honestly, you, take, you stand up in front of people day after day after day after day. Don't think you're going to misspeak. You know what I'm saying? I don't care who you are. Have you ever had your kids come up to you and they asked you something and you weren't concentrating? And you said yes, or you said no, and you come around and say, what did I just say? And they're out, boom, dad said yes, you know. Or, uh, there's, and there's been times when, when I, I do this in a sermon, where I say the exact opposite of what I just meant to say. And you turn around and say, you know, and somebody comes up to you later, well, you know what you really said? He was like, no, I didn't mean that. Uh, also, some can give a wrong but honest opinion. Remember, a number of uh, just a few years ago, actually, we were having a building committee meeting, and I could not be there. It was a pretty important meeting. And things went well, but I had two different guys come out of that meeting, and the decision, obviously, there's no question on what the decision was, what the vote was, but they, these two honest guys, I'm, I'm telling you, they're just as honest as, as they can be, and one guy said, well, we, we made our decision because of this, and the other guy said, we made our decision uh, and just the opposite. I mean, it was completely opposite. They had completely different impressions, two honest men in the same meeting. And I realized something, that sometimes two guys have exactly the opposite impression at looking at the same facts. That does happen. It does happen. A third way you can be accused of lying and you really weren't is just having a faulty memory. Have you ever had a husband and wife tell about the same incident and one said one thing and the other had details that completely changed it around and then they, then what's really funny is they start arguing. That's not the way it was. Oh, yes, and then they go back and forth and you, can, and, and you sit there and you throw up your hands. You don't even know who to believe at this point. It happens. Why? Because our memories are not always perfect. You say, well, pastor, what you just did is you just made an excuse for every person to lie. In the, no, I'm, I'm not trying to do that. I will say this. This is why it's so hard to prove perjury in a court of law. And I know there are rascals that get away with it. I understand that. But I also understand 
that in our judicial system, and I'm thankful for this, they don't want to just rush to judgment. It's pretty important. If you were the guy that was being accused of being perjurous, you'd want, you'd want if that was truly what happened with you, you'd, you'd want that as a defense, would you not? And I know we can all get political and we can all say, well, you know, so-and-so, yeah, yeah, that's true. But when we're dealing with our brothers and sisters, with our neighbors, with, with, with fellow human beings around us, do we want to jump and get it wrong from a critical heart? Is that loving your neighbor as yourself? I'll give you a couple of verses on this. James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Do not speak evil one of another, brethren. He who speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. The idea is this. Oh, I know so-and-so, they lied. My neighbor, my neighbor told this complete falsehood. Now, be careful. Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be living out the gospel, okay? But now you've become a judge. He goes on. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who's the lawgiver he's talking about? That's God. Who are you to judge another? I mean, honestly, the, the picture's pretty ridiculous. But do we want to say to the Lord, okay, just step aside, Lord. I'm going to step into the judge chambers for a while. I'm going to determine. Be slow to jump in. Let me give you a couple other thoughts on this. Who needs to judge? By the way, there are times that you have to be a judge. All right. Um, here's some situations. Well, if you're a policeman, you got to be a judge, right? You can't just say, Jamie can't just go along, somebody commits a crime, just say, well, I'm not a judge. Uh, you know, I can't do anything. You can just go your way. You, you, at some point, you got to say, I think this guy's guilty and he's got to go in. If you're a parent, you, do you not have to make judgments as a parent? Child A, child B, they're both, you know, they're, they're at each other's throats. You've got to make a judgment. There's, okay, voters, obviously. I think we worry about voting way too early, though, sometimes. We, but there's a time. There's a time you've got to make a judgment there, who you want to vote for. Uh, judges themselves. Principles. By the way, I spelled principle wrong. Uh, I know it's principal. I know that. And I put it up the wrong way. And several people, after, especially after my message about being critical, are trying to say, I don't want to be critical. But anyway, it was kind of funny. Um, teachers, do they not have to make judgments? Okay, so Jesus is not saying you can't make any judgments as a Christian. He's not saying that. What he is saying is when you have to make a judgment, you better not just jump to a quick conclusion. Are you in one of those positions is the question. So am I in a position where I need to make a judgment on this case? Or is it just that I don't like my neighbor and I really am finding fault with him? And it actually makes some good gossip that I can share with somebody else. The important principle for judges is Proverbs 18 and verse 13, which says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and a shame to him. Folks, I've violated that so many times. It's like, again, I made a snap judgment without hearing all the facts. And so we assume someone was dishonest. We assume that our child may have even done something that they didn't do. 
We assume our brother or sister it has, um, uh, it has a malicious intent. Now, here's some questions when you have to be a judge, or when at least you think you have to be. First of all, do I have the authority to judge this case? In the legal system, we say, is it in my jurisdiction? Look, if a church is having a problem, I'm not going to walk into that church if it's not, if it's not this church and going to say, by the way, I've been a pastor for X amount of years. I want to straighten you guys out. I'm not going to do that. I don't have jurisdiction over there. Especially, isn't it foolish if you're not invited? And all of a sudden, you just kind of walk in, and you're going to solve everybody's problems, and they're saying, who are you? I mean, honestly, how many times are we making judgments about people, and really, we don't, they're not even in our jurisdiction. They're not even in, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not their police officer, I'm not their judge, I'm not their parent. I have no authority. And yet I feel like I've got to push God aside, and I've got to step into his role. So are you in a situation in a God-given place of authority over that situation? Then, yes, you have to make a judgment. If not, why are you worrying about it? <laughs> why are you worrying about whether your neighbor, you know what I'm saying, is doing everything the way you want it done? Do I have all the facts? Have I really listened on both sides of the, of the argument? There's a proverb that says that he kind of argues first. His cause seems just until the other guy speaks up. So, what am I assuming? Am I making some assumptions here about this person? Um, could I be wrong? And then, more, uh, I think most importantly, am I willing to be held to the same standards, the same standards of evidence in my life and the same punishments that I would deal out? Am I willing to be held? And that's going to enter in in just a second. And then does this case need to be solved by me, and does it need to be solved right now? And those are two different questions, but I'm running out of space there, so I lopped them into one. But am I the one that has to solve this? And number two, do I need to make that decision right now? Now, there's a principle that God goes by, and I think you're going to find this in his nature. I'll show this to you in just a moment, and that is simply this. God is slow to judge and far more willing to show mercy and forgiveness, and I need to try to copy that example when it comes to my fellow man. So I'm not walking around with a chip on my shoulder just waiting to, for somebody to do something wrong and to zap them. If I was that way, how many of you would want to come and talk to me, by the way? I mean, honestly. You think, man, Pastor Jones, man, you say anything bad to him, he's like all over you. Now, what's the pattern of God's mercy? What do you see in Scripture? Let me give you some paintings that I think might illustrate. Here's the, this one, painting of the prodigal son, son when he came back home. By the way, who represents God in that picture? The dad. The dad who sees his son, as Jesus described it, all far off. And he ran to meet him. When he saw that his son, who, by the way, had, had thrown his inheritance away, had gone into immorality, had embarrassed the family, dad's running to meet him, ready to forgive him. 
Matter of fact, his forgiveness and his acceptance was so abundant that you remember the, uh, the kid's brother was angry with his father and how gracious he was to his son. Here's another painting for you. Rembrandt on the woman taken in adultery. You can see her in the, in the light. Christ, is, is, his face is kind of lit up, standing there. His Rembrandt, uh, master painter, presented that. How does Jesus treat that woman who is caught in adultery? By the way, he doesn't merely say, okay, you can go free. He goes to the cross and dies for her sin. That's why he let her go free. Because he would pay her penalty. That's how we are able to go free. It's because Christ has died for us. And so the picture is not merely of a God who says, all right, get out of here, I'm, I'm going to let you go. But a God who steps in and, and actually works good in our lives at great sacrifice to himself. This painting I saved for, the, for last just because I find it very interesting. This is of uh, Jesus um, uh, 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 helping this woman who was a Canaanite and, and enabling her to, um, to have her daughter healed of a demon. Now, it's, it, why I found this interesting is because of what the painter did here. He's, he, these are the disciples, and you'll notice they're pushing, like they're saying, we want this woman out of here. That's what they said in the Gospel account. We don't want her around. Jesus is pointing, if you'll notice, down. Remember, he said to this woman, it's not fitting to give the children's food to the dogs. Remember that? Which was actually an insult. He's, he's not, he's not, it's not that he doesn't care about this woman. He's, he's testing her faith. And so you see his hand is pushing to the ground, and you see the dog right there. It's kind of interesting. Now, the woman is pointing to the ground, because what was her answer? Even the dogs can eat the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table. And the Lord, again, was testing her faith, but honored her faith and gave her her heart's request, delivered her daughter. Isn't that a great picture of God's mercy again? How about this guy, Nebuchadnezzar? How many of you know much about him? Have you thought about his life? Let me just list up some things about him. Uh, this is the guy that murdered and enslaved many Jews. Okay, he conquered the nation of Israel in about 586, actually three different invasions, culminating in 586. At that time, he destroyed the temple and the city. It'd be, it'd, be, it'd be similar, folks, if someone came in, destroyed our country, took all of the monuments in Washington and wiped them out, went down to New York Harbor, knocked the Statue of Liberty off its pedestal, threw it into the ocean. That's what Nebuchadnezzar does to the Israelis, to the Jews. He also would execute people on a whim. He was, he was a brutal dictator. This guy was also made a giant idol of him, basically probably of himself, ordered everybody to worship it, and then tried to burn those who resisted to death. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those of you who remember that story. This was a guy who became so proud that God made him like an animal, and yet God saved this rascal. I believe we're going to see him in heaven. Jonah got how merciful God was. Do you know why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh? It wasn't because he was afraid to go there. He tells us right in this verse. So he prayed, this is Jonah, to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarsus, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God. I know you'd forgive him. 
That's why I wouldn't go to Tarsus, because I know that I, he hated those people. I, I, I know you'll forgive them. You'll let them off the hook. You're a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. You wanted to forgive them. That's why you were sending me. I didn't want to go. He was sitting on that, on that brow of the city, if you recall, which is what this painting is representing, or this picture, uh, hoping that God would still destroy Nineveh. But at the same time, knowing in his heart, God was too merciful to do it because the people repented. And that's exactly what God was only looking for was repentance. We misjudge when we hastily conclude that someone committed a clear sin. We can also call something sinful that isn't even wrong. It just looked wrong from our perspective. First example of that is Zacchaeus. He's, he's, he's a crook. He's a tax collector who's ripping people off. He's up in a sycamore tree and Jesus goes by and he says, Zacchaeus, I want to eat at your house. You know what the people did? They criticized the Lord. They said he's going to be the guest of a guy that's a sinner. He's a wicked guy. Now, Jesus was after his soul. It wasn't wrong. He was actually doing right. But people were critical of it. There's another example, and that is of the healing of the uh, woman on the Sabbath. That was a big uh, criticism that Jesus ran into. Just because it was the Sabbath day, here she is all bent over. She'd been bent over for a number of years. Jesus wasn't doing anything wrong. The people just assumed he was doing something wrong. And it's rather interesting. It says that, um, so the scribes watched him closely. This is out of Luke chapter 6, verse 7, if he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find accusation against him. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, don't jump to a critical conclusion. Don't just try to, because you have a, a negative attitude in your mind. That's not loving your neighbor as yourself. Just because you, got, you had a little tiff with a, work, with a person at work, now everything that, that, that they do is colored. You're, 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 you're against everything that they, that they, that they do. You, you twist it into something. It's not even meant to do. You're quick to judge them, quick to condemn them. Jesus is saying, that's the judgment you don't want to jump to. Another example. So what we see so far is Jesus does not say, he's not saying that you, that you can't say that certain things are wrong. He's also saying that it does mean that we ought not to be quick to jump to someone else's, uh, to condemn them. Thirdly, it also means that hasty judgments often stem from a critical, unloving heart. I don't like so-and-so. Some people have even said, I hate so-and-so. But they hated the Lord, didn't they? Judging Jesus, well, how about when the, when, when the guy was paralyzed? This is, several paintings here from Joseph Tissot, by the way, I've, I've used. This is one of them. He was a painter back in the 1800s, died early 1900s. This is his painting of, uh, did a lot of Bible paintings. This is his painting of Jesus healing the, the man with the, who was paralyzed. But if you remember, when, when they lowered him down through the roof to get him to Jesus, the first thing Jesus says to him is, your sins are forgiven. Criticism immediately. Who does he think he is to forgive sin? How about this painting? That's when Jesus healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day. And again, that's where Luke 6, 7, excuse me, comes in. And that is from, uh, they, were, they were looking to criticize him when he did that. This painting, I, find, I saved it for last on this section just because I thought you'd find it interesting. This is uh, done in the eight, 1891. 
and it's depicting the, the, the sinful woman coming to Jesus for forgiveness. And what he did, what the, what the painter did, this is uh, 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 John Bernard, Berard. Uh, the painter put the characters in, in the, the time period that he's living. And what he's really saying is the attitude wouldn't be much different today than it was back then. And if you remember, the, the, the lead Pharisee at this particular dinner had said in his heart, if this man were a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Oh, if Jesus can't be a prophet, or he would kick her off. That's really loving your neighbor as yourself, isn't it? What if you were the woman? You see, he never put himself in the spot of the woman. He considered him better, himself better than the woman. When it comes to God meeting out judgment, which view of God's judgment would you prefer? Would you like God to be like the motorboat rushing to nail you as soon as you did wrong? Then why do we rush to our neighbor to condemn them? Why do we rush to, to go out and gossip about them, whether it be our Christian brother? Or would you rather have God be more like this, like the turtle? Not that judgment never gets there, but it's not God's desire. How many times has he let us off? How many times has he forgiven and covered our sin? Now that brings us to a second part of this, and that is the warning. Notice again chapter 7 in Matthew, if you're still there. It says, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Now what's this warning? What's the principle here? That's it. That's it. And here's how I put it. God is, it was God that did this. This is Jesus talking. Okay. Established a principle of retribution. He says you will get back the same measure of judgmentalism that you dish out. Now, um, again, he's not saying you can't stand against evil because we, we, we've already covered that. But what he is saying, if you want to jump to conclusions about people, if you want to jump to gossip about people, if you really want to stop, uh, uh, really, because uh, our whole mentality many times is we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. So if you're not going to think about how your actions and your words and your attitudes are going to damage your neighbor, then what God is saying is I'm going to let you experience that back. Let me ask you this one. Who do you, who do you think people are most likely to, to accuse? Now, I got different answers than what I put down. So, But who are you most likely? Somebody you don't like? I didn't put that down. You did the same thing, Karen. You're right. It's good. You're right. Somebody you don't like. I'll just give you a few things. I don't, I don't want to belabor it. How about our spouses, don't we? I mean, we want an, an almost perfect spouse because we're almost perfect people ourselves, right? But is there an attitude of entitlement here? How about our children? Don't we criticize our kids? Why? We want them to be perfect. Why? Because they reflect on us. You can ask your siblings, brothers and sisters, many times don't get along because they are not loving each other as they would want to be loved. 
This can go down to your uh, fellow Christians. It can go down to co-workers. It can go down, or fellow students even, or, or, or those above, those below you. Those are below, you want to keep them down. Oh, who does he think he is to try to get up on my level? Those above me, who does he think he is to be above me? I'm as good or better than him. Our mouths, our attitudes of not loving our neighbor as ourselves, it, it's just so prevalent By the way, this is a painting of a, of a guy who was an inquisitor. Are you familiar with what the inquisitors did? Many times tortured people who did not believe as they thought that you should believe. You could actually be put to death or tortured before being put to death for such a crime as having a Bible, in some cases, or a forbidden book. Why are we tempted to judge others harshly? Well, the person you judge harshly may have legitimate faults. And I'll just throw a few out that I wrote down. Now, maybe, maybe they're not faithful or they're not on time or they're not neat or they're lacking manners or they're quick-tempered or they're unprepared or they're lacking courage or they're lazy or, they're, or they handle you in a rough way. And these are, they hit one of your pet, pet peeves and now you don't even think about loving them as you would love yourself. Or the person you're judging may have strengths that you are misjudging as faults. And again, we showed you several examples in Christ's life where that was happening. Or thirdly, you may, in your sinfulness, just be looking for faults. You're jealous. You're envious. You're, you want to put yourself above this person. And so you're looking for faults. And none of us would say it that way. Now, we've seen, as Jesus has set this up, we saw the, covenant, the command, judge not. Then we saw the warning. With what judgment you judge, you're going to be judged. Now there's a picture. It's verses 3 to 5, and this is where we're, we're going to have to stop after this verse. But let's, go, let's look at it. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Now, well, you know what that mote is? It's like a speck, something very small, or maybe a little sliver. And you're not considering the beam, and that's like a plank, okay, in your own eye. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother... Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. Now, I will just say, tell you this, that um, here's one of those paintings. Do you see how ridiculous that looks? Honestly, it's hard to illustrate. This picture is so shocking, you can't get a good... I, I, I didn't find any really pictures that... That made sense. It, it is that... Shocking. Now, um, what it really shows is you have far greater sins in your own heart than you see in other people. And folks, I'm just telling you, we're, we're in that boat. Okay? That if God exposed what goes on in our own hearts, the things that we're picking out and somebody else is like a beam compared to a moat, a speck, And it's showing us several things. It's showing us, again, here's another one. There's a doctor who says, let me take the speck out of your eye. Now, here's the signs of harsh judgment. First of all, is you're focusing on the, on the sins of others. And, and, and they're in comparison to the sins in your own life, they're small. Number two, there's an ignoring of the huge sin in your own life. And what sin is it? It's I'm not loving my neighbor as I would myself. I'm really not concerned about what would truly be in the best interest. Number three, 
the truth, trying to deal with the small sins of others while at the same time failing to deal with the sins of my own life. This is why judging is so wrong. And so the picture, not only do you have far greater sins in your own life, but Jesus says that you're actually being hypocritical. And you're not usable till you get it right. First, take the beam out of your own life. Let's start living by that second great commandment before you start picking out moats out of somebody else's life. Well, let's wrap this up with some conclusions. I'll give you an illustration. The command then is not to, ju not to judge, does not leave Christians powerless to stand against sin. It does not mean you have to agree with everything that comes down the pike. What it does mean is that I'm, I, that we should be slow to judge other people. We, we especially don't judge their motives. Really be a, aware that that is a dangerous thing to do. You better have some facts. Number three, Jesus teaches that hasty judgments often come from a critical heart, a heart that does not love that person as I would love myself. Fourthly, God has declared a law concerning your judgments, and that is your judgments will come back. It's like a boomerang. You want to be critical? It's going to come back. You want to hold people to a very strict standard? It's going to come back. Number five, if you have been judged harshly, this might be God's way of showing you what you've been doing to other people. It's just coming back on you. And it's a great time to be able to stop and say, Lord, have I, have I done the same thing that I'm getting right now? How, we, how would I encourage you to apply this? Well, first of all, in a moment, we'll take a moment just to ask God individually. Don't, don't talk to him about other people. Look at your own life. Oh, Lord, am I, am I loving my neighbor Saved, unsaved, both. Am I loving them as myself? Or am I a critic? And then I'd encourage you to do this. Every Sunday night, what we try to do, unless we're uh, tied up with something major, we, we try to sit down with our family on Sunday night and we go over something that we got out of the services on that day. Everybody shares something. And on our time tonight, I, I plan on having that discussion. Okay, do you feel like I'm more of a critic than a loving parent? Now, I know kids can go overboard. I understand that. But the truth is, I think we'd be wise in listening. You know, the Bible specifically warns dads on this, by the way, on two different occasions. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath that sometimes we can so want them to be perfect, holding them to a standard that, quite honestly, we don't measure up to ourselves, that we can actually push them away instead of helping them and letting them know that they're loved. Close with two illustrations. The first one... Um, you, by the way, you can go to Matthew 19. I'll show you the second one in a moment. But the first one is this guy by the name of Alexander Cruden. Does anybody recognize that name, Cruden? 
Yeah, he's, he's a little past his time, but um, I wasn't making a joke there. He lived, I'm trying to think, it's like the 1600s, something like that, 1600s, 1700s. He honestly was, was one of those guys that was brilliant but was a little bit uh, crazy at the same time. And he did one of the first Bible concordances, which was a, a, a book that you could look up almost every word in the Bible. The reason why you don't know his name now, Cruden's Concordance got kind of overtaken by Strong's Concordance, which has every word in the Bible, every place it's, it's, it's found. So Cruden kind of... But can you imagine these guys doing this, going through and recording every spot this word is used and making a list and every reference. We have that at our fingertips now on computers. It's amazing. Well, Cruden was one of the early guys to do that and, and did a very good job of it. But again, he was a little bit crazy. He was. Um, he adopted himself, called, him, called himself the corrector, thinking he was going to be the corrector of the, of the nation of England, really, England's corrector. Um, he became, it became his personal mission to safeguard the nation's spelling, grammar, and morals. And he would literally walk around correcting people when they had a spelling error, when they had a grammatical error, and when they had some kind of morals, especially the Sabbath keeping, he was really big on that. Uh, particularly concerned with misspelt signs, graffiti, swearing, and keeping the Sabbath. Those were some of his major things. You can get all this off Wikipedia. And uh, even carried a sponge with which he would erase somebody's bad uh, misspelled words or whatever. Now, Cruden actually, again, when he was not in mental hospitals, was, was uh, proposed to several different women. Ladies? Would you have wanted to marry the corrector? <laughs> Nobody did. <laughs> Though he told several that it was God's will that they marry him. <laughs> Can you understand? Nobody wants to live with the corrector. Nobody wants to live with the corrector. I'm not saying you never correct. I am saying this. Make sure that it's in your jurisdiction, that that decision needs to be made, that you have all the facts, and that you're really considering the other person and their best interests, not just whatever's, where you're angry at the moment or whatever. Now, I take you to Matthew 19 as we close, because here's a guy that thought he was keeping that commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16, you'll find him. Behold, there one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? It's a good question, except he's thinking, I'm a good person, I just need to do something else good. He said unto him, this is Jesus speaking, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. I, I can't go into all the things. What Jesus is saying to him is, you're thinking the wrong direction. You're thinking you're a good person. Only God is good. Now, Jesus is God, that's why he is good. But... Um, the guy doesn't get that. Okay, He's just saying, you are on the wrong spot if you think you're a good person. But if thou wilt enter into life, the guy's proud, so Jesus is going to let the law judge him. Let him see how he falls short. If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Okay, You, wanna, you could go to heaven if you could keep all those commandments. And so he saith unto him, which? Which ones do I got to keep? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt commit, not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And the guy's thinking, tink, 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 I'm checking them all off. What's the last one? 
Love your neighbor as yourself. And what we do, folks, we grade ourselves on a human curve. Man, I'm doing better than Molly. You know? And I'm doing better than so-and-so. So, yeah, I love my neighbor as myself. Notice verse 20, The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Okay, what am I still missing? Because I've kept all those things. So Jesus is going to test him on just the last one. Real, well, actually, all of them could be involved here. But Jesus said to him, If thou wilt be perfect, okay, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. After all, if you really love your neighbor as yourself, it doesn't matter who has your money. If you love your neighbor as yourself, it doesn't matter who has all your possessions. When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. But I will tell you this, he did walk away from Jesus, but he walked away with a better understanding that he didn't love his neighbor as himself. It's one thing to talk about it, it's another thing to live it, isn't it? And that's why I'm so thankful that God sent his son, because these sins that we commit against each other, because we don't love each other as we love ourselves, these sins make a big difference, and they hurt a lot of people. And I'm so thankful that the Lord, just like he saved that woman who repented, who was so wicked and was, an, was, a, was, a, was a prostitute in all probability, so God reached down and he sent his son to die for my sins too so that I could be forgiven. And he died for your sins too so you could be forgiven. And we're not going to be in heaven bragging about the wonderful things we did. But we'll be bragging about what God did to save us. And when God saves us, then his spirit comes into our lives and enables us to do something that we could not do on our own and we won't do on our own. And that is he puts his love in our hearts for our neighbor. That's how Christians, we can love our neighbors. We can, as ourselves. Do we need to work on it? Absolutely. But we're challenged. This is a big deal. Go after it, specifically right now, in this area of judging people harshly. If you have a spiritual need and would like to speak to someone who could help you, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. If you would like to share this radio message with a friend, we also have a podcast listed on the website for this station. Just search for the Bold Gold Media Group, look for the Radio Bold app, and then find podcasts on that page. Calkins Baptist Church is listed there. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening.